Thanks for tuning in to the Calvary Carlsbad podcast. Today's message was taken from our 10 a.m. service. If you'd like to join us in person, you can get more info at our website at calvarycarlsbad.com. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Hebrews chapter 6, when we did verses 1 through 8, was really gnarly. You guys remember that? Um, and, and there's a lot of warnings here. There was warnings of this tragic scenario of becoming apostate, of walking away from the Lord. And uh, it's, it's a really scary thought, right? Especially because the people that are described, the list of experiences that these people have shared would be what you would expect in the life of a believer. They'd been enlightened from the darkness to the light that they tasted of the heavenly gift, that they were partakers of the Holy Spirit, and they tasted the, wood, were, the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. And so we talked about the parable of the sower, right? And, you know, how there's the different seed that falls on the different ground, and it has a lot to do with the growth. And, and one of the major things we, we notice is the fruit being really important in the life of a believer. That fruit needs to be coming out of the life of a believer to, to show, in a sense, the health. Not like it's the works that make you healthy, but health, healthy, you know, healthy vessels produce work. Healthy trees produce fruit if they're a fruit tree, right? So, uh, yeah. So um, I think it's also important to note uh, that yeah, we'll get into that in a second here. First, let's read. If you guys would stand in reverence for the word of God, we're going to read through the verses right now, and we'll pray, and then we'll really get started here. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this, ma- though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we recognize that this is your word, and it's here for us for a reason. And we pray that you'd speak to us through your word, by your spirit, penetrate our hearts, our minds, open our ears and our eyes. God, help us to hear the things we need to hear and to be encouraged by things we need to be encouraged by, to be uh, confronted by the things we need to be confronted by, Lord, and that we would ultimately recognize that this this is the way to go. There's no better path. There's no better option than to follow you. So convince our hearts and our minds of that, Lord. Because we're so, as, uh, as the hymn says, prone to wander. That we're prone to leave the God we love, prone to compromise and kind of go half in on things. Help us, Lord. Sure our hearts. Fix our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Um, this letter to the Hebrews, um, we don't know the, we don't know the author for sure, but we do know it's written to a group of believers with a 
uh, Jewish background, historically Jewish background. They understand the Old Testament very well. In fact, there's a there's a, an issue of them wanting to go back to the old things. Why? Because we know they're under heavy persecution. They're dealing with pretty legit persecution right now. And they're just kind of scrambling to find their bearings again. And what this author is, is writing this letter for is to encourage them that there's nothing to go back to. That the supremacy of Christ, Jesus is better than everything else. He's so much better than the law. He's so much better than Moses. He's so much better than the angels. He's so much better than the land. He's so much better than the high priest that you knew before. And so it's with that in mind, he's, he's encouraged, as this, this author is encouraging them that he brings up what we went through a couple weeks ago, a very troubling word. And, and we don't like troubling words. And we've gotten the ability now to where we can we can eliminate troubling words from our life. You can cut people out. You can get rid of people. I don't like that news, so I'll go to this news. I don't like that news, so I'll go to this news. I don't like that one, so I'll go to this one. It's like, I don't like any of them really. You know, who knows? Where's the truth? We don't know, right? To some extent, it's in the way. Exactly. It's in the word. That's why we focus on this. But at the end of the day, we, we, we are, it's easy to you know, have this like kind of a la carte Christianity and we can pick what we want to hear and where we want to hear it from. And even the idea of bringing up something uh, that is confrontational is viewed as unloving. I think absolutely not. For anyone who's raised children, what happens if you just go, I just don't want to confront them about anything. I don't want them to feel like they're unloved. You have a kid with a burned hand that's gotten, already gotten run over by a car that's already, you know, all these things. It's like, I don't want to tell you not to cross the street. Uh, how do I do this, you know? It's like, why? Well, because we recognize, you know what? Short-term pain, long-term gain. I'm here to help you and equip you and to get you in alignment. What's, uh, what's going on in your life right now is not good. So there's things that are hard to hear and hard to say that are necessary. So that's what's been shared right here. So there's a part of it where the culture that we live in, because even though we might not be full on into that, but it, it makes its way into all of us. We need a little bit of a thicker skin and to be able to go, God, is that me? I, I, I don't want to just like say it's not because I'm offended. But by the way, being offended, that's okay. It's okay to be offended sometimes. Like when someone calls you out, it's offensive. But if it's meant for your benefit and it's done in love, it can be a very, very good thing. And I, I'm grateful. I've shared stories before. I'm grateful of friends that have, have done that in my life where they've called me out when it was probably not easy to do and I certainly didn't want to hear it. And there's the thought in your mind of, I could just cut this friend out. But then there's the other part that says, but they're telling me the truth. And it's probably not a good idea to cut out friends that actually tell you the truth. That actually love you enough to go through the discomfort of saying these things to you. So, as we look at these words, we don't run and hide from them. We go, all right, Lord, search me and know me. I'm easily deceived. I have blind spots. Look to someone and say, I have blind spots. You wanted to do, look to someone and say, you have blind spots, because that's a lot easier. You have, you have blind spots, and I can list them. You, know, you say, I do. 
I have blind spots in my life. And it's easy for me not to see things that are very, very obvious to those other people around me. This is why church is done in community. This is why it's important we all show up for each other and are in each other's lives. And this is why the great experiment of, I'm a Christian, I just don't need the church, does not work. It does not work. I mean, it kind of like, you can stay on like a life support situation, but you will not thrive outside of being in a community together. Because it was meant to be this way. In this room, messy people. I'm I'm one of them. (laughs) But that's the way it's supposed to be. We're working this thing out together. Walking it out together. Rubbing on each other together to show, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that was such a rough edge until I ran up against that person. But what's, what's the thing, what's the tendency of the culture? As soon as there's a problem, cancel and run away. Absolutely not. So this is what the author is doing out of love, calling them out. So what's the result of doing that? His result and what he's expecting is growth, hoping for growth, right? So we're training. We're not, you know, uh, to ourselves to be not just good at what we're good at, but to grow in the things we're not good at. I remember when we were in high school, we were lifting weights, and people, everybody had their thing they liked, and that, that always seemed to get worked out, you know? It was like, oh, I love bench. So you sit on the bench, boom, boom, boom. You're like, do squats. You're like, I can't do squats. Like, you're going to need those squats. And so I, I've learned even as, like, as I do stuff, to work on the stuff that's not good. And it's humbling. You're like, man, I can't do as much as this. I can look really impressive doing that one thing. But this other thing, I'm going to look like a fool. But guess what? It makes you more well-rounded and helps you. Anyway, so that's the idea. And it's all for the heart of growth. Verse 9. But, beloved, but, beloved, we are confident. So, you know, this is what I'm hoping for for you. We are confident of better things concerning you. We're confident that, this is, that there's better things for you, that you're not going to fall into this snare. You're not going to end up outside of the will of God and apostate. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. There's a confidence in what this salvation is accomplishing in the inner and outer life of the believers spoken of here in Hebrews. I'm confident that God is going to do what he started in you, finish what he started in you. Uh, that, that this, what are the things that we're looking to? Accompany salvation, fruit. As we spoke of a couple weeks ago, this means abiding in the vine. As we abide in the vine, we, are, we bear fruit. This is fruit from our lives. This is the things that accompany salvation. So that's why it's like, oh, I got saved at this date. Here's, I have a card and everything, right? Where is the fruit in our lives? Because we weren't just saved until you just get to go to heaven. That's not a, a really a good understanding of fully what salvation is. That's a big deal, obviously. But salvation is for the next life and for this one too. And we're absolutely going to have issues with, man, if I don't really believe that God's good enough to do something here and now, do I really believe he's good enough to do something then? 
if I don't really believe that? And so that's what this section is going to talk a lot about is like having a firm faith and understanding of what God has done, what God is doing, and, and remembering the promises are, are good. They're sure. So he's speaking of this confidence in their life and looking for the, uh, uh, the things that accompany salvation, which is fruit, inner life and outer life. The inner life is crucial in the life of a believer. Inner life, right? The inner life affects the outer life. If you don't have an inner life with Christ, if we don't have a real relationship where we have communion with God, where we're able to to pray and we're able to read the word and there isn't some, it's going, you're gonna have a really hard time showing it in your outer life because it's, it's not really what you are. It's a facade, it's a mask. So the inner life affects the outer life. The outer life can affect the inner life in a sense of going, man, I can't maintain this on my own. I can't act like a Christian enough. I must become one. I must become, because what is a Christian is a Christ follower. So the fruit is an inner life that's sustained that leads to an outer life that makes a huge difference in the world around us. And so I think a lot of us find that we view Christianity boring or, you know, missing the point or whatever, or like, or like, man, where's the power? It's because we probably, starting with, have a very weak inner life. So God is not, if God's not speaking to you, then you're really missing out. There's, it's something about God speaking to you in the morning. It's unbelievable. You're like, whoa, I read that today and it came up today. How in the world did that happen? I was in first, you know, Kings or something and how did this come up today? It's like God's showing you and reminding you, speaking to you, a, a, a vibrant prayer life where God is, you go through situations and you go, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. God, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm hurting. I'm in pain, whatever. I, I don't know what to do about all of this. Uh, Lord, come save, come help. Lord, I'm lifting things up before him and then actively listening to God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to speak to me through your word? How do I sit in silence and know that you're God? Be still. If we're lacking that, then we're lacking the power source. That's the abiding in the vine. But then if we are, have that and there's no out, outer fruits that are coming out of that, then we're wildly unfulfilled again. This is the idea when we're talking about ministry means service. Serving can be in a, so many different ways. But our, our life is called to be active in the faith. And I notice people who do serve, it's, it, even though the extra effort, it's like comes back like tenfold. They like, there's something about it. Now, if you're serving from a place of outer life to look good and inner life is no good, then the serving will get old because you're trying to do something, uh, act like something has happened in you that really hasn't. Now, of course, there's gonna be times where you're like, man, my devotional life has not been that good that week, this week. You come and you could still serve and God needs, it's not like you have to have everything perfect, but there's something about having these things aligned and then allowing that to come out of your life in the way that you live. But it comes in that order. That's what the gospel is. It's a transformative work through the person of Jesus from the inside out. 
We were dead, now we're made alive. Our hearts were stone, now they're soft. They're flesh. And as our hearts change, what else happens? Our minds change. And as our hearts and our minds change, our speech changes. Our values are changing. Uh, How we spend our time changes. The things that we put, what's the most important thing in my life? This might be worth actually doing. Literally sitting there and going, what's the most important thing in my life? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Don't just say, you know, I would, I would suggest do one that is what you want it to be and then do the one that shows, survey says, this is what it really is. If you have any questions or problems with that, you can ask, you know, a friend, a spouse, or dare I say, your children, right, <laughs> if you have them. What do you think is the most important thing to me? Okay. So it affects... Our inner life affects our outer life, and, and, it, and then it, it's meant to produce fruit. This is the things that accompany salvation. I'm confident that you guys are going to not go down this other path, but that there's going to be vibrant life in you that leads to life around you, that you would be the light, that you'd be the salt, that the Holy Spirit would be accomplishing a new work in you, that you would be walking in the ministry that's been set before you the good works that were promised before you, that were, that were made for you to walk in. So, yeah. So he says, though I speak in this manner. Though I speak in this manner, he says, I, I basically I need to be straight with you, but I believe better for you because of what God has done. Don't fret. God has much more for you. He's, you know what's so cool? Is he's inexhaustible. Everything else is easily exhausted, I feel like. Everything else is just like, that's it? That's all it was? I was hoping for so much more than that, you know? I, I, you guys know I love baseball, right? Yes, okay. Uh, when the Dodgers won the World Series, it was like, this is amazing. But you're also kind of like, I kind of felt, felt like it would feel better, <laughs> Even a smaller scale, right? I'm watching my son, and and we're in the playoffs right now, and they're going on a big run. It's awesome. Comeback win yesterday. So fun. And I look forward to those games greatly. But afterwards, you're like, that was so much fun. But you're like, but I can't live for this. This can't be the focal point of my week. This can't be all that I think about. Because there's like part of where you're like, I cannot wait to get to that thing. And even when that thing goes really, really well, you see them have a great game. They win. It's exhaustible. It's just not enough there. But we have a God who's like, he's, he's the omni. <laughs> all-knowing, all-powerful, right? Everywhere. Immutable, unchangeable. Like what, what the promises of God. So we start digging into the promises of God and believe them. And that's what we're going to get into in a section here. Second here, that is where it's at. So in light of all this, this is where we want to go. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God is not unjust. The word could also mean unrighteous. So God doesn't judge wrongly. Um, that's a really important word for us because a lot of times we like to think we're a better judge than God. You can imagine if there's a issue with judgment, 
and between you and God, you're the one that's wrong. <laughs> like he's got the big picture. Have you ever heard someone come into a situation and you've been deeply involved in this situation, you know, it might be something that you've poured labor, so much labor, so many conversations, so many uh, hours of trying to figure it out and prayerfully considering. And someone comes in with maybe 30 seconds of thought and they're just like, it should just be like this. And you go, you have no idea what you're talking about. And you are so confident you're right. It's life is so simple for you, but you're missing all the facts. <laughs> you're missing all the context. You can't see it at all. Like I'm living it. I'm in it. I, I've been around it. Does this mean I, I can I feel? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I can I be off? Oh yeah, absolutely. But it's much more likely. <laughs> That the people who are actually involved in it and care about it and, and are prayerfully going through it are going to have a lot more insights than someone who's like, you know what I thought about? You should just do this. That's your problem. You just never do this right. And you're like, okay. You think about how frustrating that is. Now imagine being the God who created the universe and spoke it into existence and whose plan salvation was. The, the idea of a story where one man comes and redeems the whole world, that's his. The, the idea of staying faithful to a group of people that really deserve judgment, that's his story. So when we enter in and say, I like your story, but it needs some edits, we are fools. But this is the part, guys. We've got to align ourselves with him and believe that God, that he knows more than we know and believe that his word is more valuable than what the good book in my head says or what societal norms say or even what the church of the day says. What is the word of God say? What are the promises he's already said and spoken of? God's not unjust. God's not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. So he's, he's not judging wrongly what's gone on in your life. There is an outer life. There are works done through them. And what, how so? How are they done? With a labor of love. This is a good sign of inner life being in a pretty good place in outer life, experiencing that. When you're doing things out of love for the Lord, for one another, for one another that's a good sign that God's moving in your life. Founded and grounded in love, which you have shown towards his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So we have confidence in what, has, uh, what he has done in us and what he will do. That's kind of a, one of the important things to understand in our Christian life is we're always looking back at what God has done and we're, in a sense, always looking forward to what God will do. And yet the position that we are in all the time is what, how we respond to those two things in light of what's going on around us right now. Which there's always, there's always an option to compromise. There's always an option to go, did God really say that? Is that really he really meant? Because I don't want him to mean that. So we have confidence in what he's done, confidence in what he will do, 
and but it all takes place. Everything hinges on today. How we respond to that knowledge of what he has done and what he will do today. Right? I'm grateful for what God has done. I've seen God do miracles. No doubt about it, miracles. I've seen God speak very clearly at times in my life that were like undeniable. And, and there's a sense where like when you know it, you know it. That is God. He is telling me to do this. We are going this direction and that's it. We're doing it. And I've seen him come through. I've seen him be faithful. I've seen hard seasons and I've seen God meet us in those hard seasons. Those are great, 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 great stories. The future hope, oh my goodness, amazing. But if, in order to not live in the past where all we're talking about is the old stories, remember the good old days? They probably weren't as good as you remember, right? Or oh, someday, 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 someday. Tomorrow, tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow. And, and unless it's today, tomorrow never comes. So it's in light of those two. We find ourselves in the middle and we have to focus on, well, what am I supposed to do now, today? And it really clarifies things. How do I honor God with my decisions now, today, with everything I've got going on? What are the decisions? How will I align my life now, right now, today? Not tomorrow. I'm going to start the diet plan or the reading plan tomorrow. What do you do today? Not to say you shouldn't start tomorrow, but you get what I'm saying. If it stays tomorrow, 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 then, you know, obviously that's not going to work. Verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. So we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. Diligence is like eagerness. There's like a, a, a driving forward, like, ah, I'm diligent. We had a, a dog for a little while. You guys might have seen her around here, Olive, because she couldn't be left alone. And she just, she was with me 24-7, basically. We didn't know when we got her from the pound, she was a working dog, a herding dog. And we live in an 851-square-foot condo. That one foot is really important. Um, I don't know where it is, but it's important. Uh, so we get this dog, and we're like, looks like a cool dog, cool-looking breed. And then I start to realize this dog does not tire out ever like uh i take her i take her and run her and she just go 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 and all of a sudden I'm, like i'm hanging out at a park and she's herding a pit bull and i'm like what are you doing she's like nipping its its leg and moving it and i'm like oh no i i think i know what you are and what do they always tell people working dogs they look awesome you guys seen belgian malinois oh man they climb like walls and you know <laughs> They climb like trees and then like jump off 30-foot buildings and stuff. They are amazing dogs. But <laughs> you put them in an apartment, you're in big trouble, you know? I mean, big trouble. They're so smart. They'll figure out how to like rewire your house by, you know, whatever. I mean, they're just, they're ridiculous. They're just, they're military police dogs. They're, they're insane, they're meant, they're, there's a, a diligence and an eagerness about them. They're, they just, they want to go. 
They have a job to do. If you don't give them a job to do, then they're just like, ah, I got to do something. So I'm going to destroy the couch. This seems like the best thing I could possibly do. We would get, we would get all of, she was small. She was like 28 pounds or something, right? And we would get the, the indestructible toys. No one can get, no, the dogs cannot break. Through. She found the seams, like a seam ripper with her teeth. She'd open the seams up and everything would be out within like 10 minutes. Like this dog, you get your money back if the dog can get through this and you know, whatever. And you're like, this dog doesn't belong here. Our neighbors ended up taking her, uh, her, her parent. They had, now she's on three acres in Elfin Forest. And she still needs to be ran every day. Okay, does not belong. The idea is that there's a willingness to go, charge. Like there's a job at hand. So there's like a, 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 a drive. I think this is missing in the church. A drive to honor God. A drive, a willingness, an earnestness to charge it. We, we, we have that. But it's for things like business. It's for things like sport. It's for all kinds of other things that are not bad unless they become the thing and then they become an idol or a god. And boy, is it difficult to manage all of it. But it's, it, it comes from having an eagerness and a desire to, to trust God and to believe him. And what he said As we, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope that you don't, you don't lose heart, that you ha- keep a drive among you, that your chiefs keep on going. The full assurance is the certainty. That's the other word for assurance, the certainty of the hope until the end, the certainty of what's going to come. Don't lose faith. Guys, think about the children of Israel. And God said, I'm going to do this in you guys. Okay, look, I'm going, to, I'm going to remove you from Egypt, and I'm going to take you to, well, starting back, let's go to Abraham. I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you, Abraham. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to do all these things. You're going to have a kid, all this. Stuff. And what was it? What was the righteousness? Abraham believed God. He had faith, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed to the end. Did he falter? Did he slip? Yes. So will we. But there's a, a, an eagerness and a desire to go for it, to, to, to trust him. The children of Israel, I'm going to get you out of slavery. All right, we're out of slavery. Okay, I'm going to take you to the promised land. I'm going to take care of it. What, what happens? Every time they get their eyes off of Jesus, everything falls apart. Or not Jesus, well, God and his promises. Every day, the, the future hope of Jesus, they didn't know where that was coming from, but they knew something was coming. So where's the, where's the eager expectation and hope? In the promises of God. That we believe them, we take them to the bank. The Bible is full of promises. The promises of God. And we need to take these into our hearts and, and trust and believe them and then make decisions today that reflect our belief in them. It's really simple to figure out your belief system because your actions follow it. I think about that for me all the time. My actions follow my beliefs. What's the first thing you do when something bad happens or, or when somebody says something that you don't like? 
Well, what you do next has a lot to do with what you really believe would be the solution to the problem. So if you get on the phone right away and start being like, guess what? Instead of going like, bringing it to the Lord. God, what is going on? I don't want to blow this. I don't want to mess this up. You know? I, I, I get in that place sometimes. There's like an injustice I felt. Like the last, there was like a couple weeks ago. There was an injustice. And there's one thing where you feel like there's an injustice to you. There's another thing when you feel like there's an injustice to your kids. And, and you know what? Like I, I, these words came out of my mouth about a certain situation, ready to burn the whole thing down. <laughs> like, let's, let's go, let's go. Let's, this, you know what? Bad things happen when good men don't confront bad men who take advantage of situations. I believe that. But like, was this this response you're supposed to take here? And you guys are going, oh my goodness. Like, you know, this is the truth. Because this is like fiery. And also find out, you know what? It's, when you, you got, kind of go back to the way it was from the past, well, when there's an issue, let's hit it up straight, straight up. Let's go. Let's go, you and me, let's talk. And he's like, you know what? Chill. You know what? God is going to use this in it. And now, two weeks later, I'm starting to see the thing that I thought was an injustice is a gift. We did not want that. We did not want to go down that path. It would have never worked in the first place. Now we get to make a better way, and there's more influence. There's more. Now the, my only regret is how much I overreacted because it showed that I still had a value system in we could shake it down and cause some problems and change things. I, I, I know what to do here. God, step aside. I got this one. Let me just, you know, go back to my, you know, whatever. I'll go back to my old ways and jump in real quick for a second. Then I'll be a pastor again. But it shows you what you really think and what you really believe. And it's like, yeah, that's lacking, man. You, you, had, you were pressed on that, and, and it was a little too close to home, and you did not trust me. And I had a way better plan for you. Don't worry. I, I'm not, God is not mocked. He won't be robbed. You're going to be fine. Trust him. Believe in the promises. This is the children of Israel. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, has this eagerness and diligence to follow and believe after the promises of God, the hope of his salvation, the gospel which he said received and then gave out. Paul was very grounded. But then he said in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 26, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. I have an eagerness and a diligence. I'm a working breed when it comes to following Jesus. And boy, was he. And that's what he said. As one born out of due time, I received the gospel, but I labored harder than everyone else. Not I, but Christ in me because I was driven to charge it. Because I was excited about it. Do you feel like, oh, I'm being legalistic when you get excited about a project and you can work 15 hours straight on it on oh, being legalistic about this thing? No, you're excited about it. That's called a good thing. Right? Again, as he's speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight of faith. Lay, lay hold on eternal life to which you also were called to have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't back down. Continue on steadfast to the end. You hear me say it a lot. 
I, I was listening, Tori was listening to the message. I was like, I said steadfast like a million times in that message. That's okay. We're, we're, we, now we know. Okay. Verse 12, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So we are to desire, or it's his desire that we show diligence, uh, the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that we don't grow weary in doing good. We continue on. We trust the promises to the end. The children of Israel had moments of trust. They saw God do amazing things. They missed out on blessings in their life because they, they thought, ah, it's been too long. I don't think God's doing it anymore. Full assurance to the end. Trust him. But he says, so that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who, uh, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That we have examples of those who have gone before. This is how, again, this is how it's done in the church. And I think YouTube podcasts, they're good resources. I, don't, I think discipleship should not be done over a screen or through an earpiece. It should be done like this, with each other. That means go to lunch, hang out sometimes, you know, whatever. Hang out, barbecue. Oh, my goodness, that was amazing. The food was amazing, too. We went through some food. I thought I way overbought, and there was, like, almost nothing left. Way to go. That makes me happy. I'm like, yes. Some eaters, man. Let's go. We were about to fire up the grill again for dinner. That would have been a, like, loaves and fish situation, though. So Im imitate. What are they doing? So what does it mean to imitate someone as they're following Jesus? Literally, it means, like, what are they doing? It doesn't mean that you're like, oh, I hold my hand like this. Oh, I do this. Oh, I do that. Oh, I get it's not like you're robotic or mirror somebody exactly, but the idea is, is to look at their lives. How do we do this? Look at the life of Jesus. We were just going through John 6 with the kids uh, at youth group. John 6? Yeah, 5, 6, yeah, I think. Uh, but where Jesus draws away, and we see it over and over again. He gets away, spends time with the Father, comes down, does something awesome. Was it, what is something we can imitate Many things, obviously, from Christ. We're Christ followers. But that it is absolutely crucial to get away, even when there's big stuff going on, especially when there's big stuff going on. So we imitate that, right? What else? Spend time alone with the Father. Know the scriptures. We see that in Jesus. What about Paul? What about his life? How diligent, how eager he was how convicted he was, how, how gnarly he was for the gospel. There was not, he was not backing down from anybody. He believed it to the end. Why? Because he saw it. He saw Jesus. And he was willing to die for that. So we imitate that. We look and we go, what are the things that were staples in their lives? And they're all over the scriptures. And so they are with us. So we imitate these things. It's an active process done together. Share your, share your helps. Share what God's been doing in your life. Share how you get to spend time and have devotional life or what's going on in praying for one another. It's one thing to be 
praying for yourself. It's another thing to be praying for one another and having other people pray for you. That's pretty awesome. Especially when you go, man, this went really well. And you realize people were praying for me. That could have gone really sad. Man, it felt like people were praying for me. We have that ability to do that and meet each other in these ways. So it was an active process together. Um, what was the old, yeah, again, what was the Old Testament version of righteousness? It was faith. It was trust. I believe you, God, for what you said. And anytime anything bad happened, it's because they, they decided that not believe God at what he said anymore. It's really simple, right? And so we have that same thing. Anytime we don't believe God at what he said, you can expect problems. God is gracious. He will restore. But this is pales in comparison to trusting him in the first place. And then the, you remember that the promises were kept. Look at the Old Testament. You want to look at the past? The promises were kept. Even when they weren't faithful, God remained faithful. He still brought them through. He kept on making a new way, a new path, a new way, a new path. When the, you know, have you ever done that where you're like playing a game with your kids and they're just losing and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help them. And they keep on messing it up. And you're like, ah, here's another one I dropped. Or, you know, like, oh, I stumbled again. You know, uh, try and tag me. You know, and you're like, ah, oh, I fell again. You're, ah, you're running the wrong way. It's like God constantly, out of a, as a loving father, is bringing his children back to him. But it reminds us, too, to, that we do not become sluggish, that they don't become sluggish. And it's, I think it was interesting. I had a friend post this. It was an older article in the Gospel Coalition, and it was Eight Marks of a Sluggard by Derek J. Brown, and I was offended, so maybe you can be too. Um, first one is, the sluggard will not start things. The second is, the sluggard will not finish things. The third was, the sluggard will not face hard things. Kind of what we're talking about today, huh? Four is, the sluggard is anxious and restless, not to say that there aren't other factors in all of these things, right? But like, because of your, sl your being lazy, you know, Five, the sluggard has constant trouble. Never deal with the real issues. Six, the sluggard is a nuisance to others. Seven, the sluggard is self-deceived. Perhaps the most dangerous of them all because you can somehow make yourself think that you're the one that's right. Uh, and eight, the sluggard won't become a leader because it takes hard, doing hard things to, do, to, to see change. If, you're, if you have a well-worn path, it's going to be hard work to trailblaze a new, another way. And this is what Paul's saying. Do not become a slugger. Do not become sluggish. Don't go this path. Follow me. Trust, trust the promises of God. Imitate those through faith and patience inherit, it, inherit the promises. They inherit it because they don't walk away from it. They get to experience it for themselves because they don't walk away. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more info on the church or ministries we offer, head over to calvarycarlsbad.com. Thank you and God bless.